And welcome to another episode of this Artillery and Geek podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I am your host, Webster Style, the man, the voice, the fragrance, coming at you again. And if you have not realized it, I am very much stuck in old school games. Not that I don't like the games that come out now, but there is a certain comfort and nostalgia that brings me back to a simpler time when it comes to old school gaming and retro gaming in general. And one of the things I love about the Xbox and the Xbox platform is just that backwards compatibility. And because of that, I've been able to play Contra uh, on my Xbox system dating back to the 360. So this is a game I've had about 10 years now, the uh, arcade version of X, assuming not Xbox, uh, Contra that was released on Xbox 360 probably about 10 years ago now, maybe longer at this point in time. And one of the great things about playing it is a great little running game, but also in that version, Konami instituted the uh, famous Konami code, which gave you 30 lives. So I've been playing it for a while, and then with that, I also have the Nintendo Classic or the NES Mini Classic, which has the original NES Contra in there, so I play that from time to time. And then with the acquisition of the Genesis Mini a couple of years ago, what, two Christmas ago now, there's Contra Harcorp. So, you know, my Contra itch was always able to be filled because of that. Well, last year, maybe two years ago, Konami released the Contra collection. So they released a collection of all of the Contra games and it was selling for $19.99, which looking back was a pretty good deal and this is not just the american contra games you had all of the major contra games that were uh, released on the 8-bit and 16-bit systems in addition to the european versions of those games which is protectabot because for some reason uh, they had to change the characters and everything to robots they can have humans shooting each other back in the day which was really strange when you think about it in addition to the game boy game uh, operation c i believe it was called so it was a pretty good value for those that really wanted it but for me as i said i already had my contra fixed and i never really wanted to or thought eh you know it's only 20 bucks but still it's 20 bucks i can use towards something else well in light of all of the spring sales that have been happening on all the major platforms the contra collection was down to i think it was 75 percent off or so so it was only six dollars and fifty nine cents well, let me tell you, of course, I bought it in a quickness, uh, the digital version. And I am glad I did because there's a lot more there than I even realized. The collection comes with a total of 16 games, 16 games, just 16. So it's not just the original arcade, NES, SNES or Genesis games. It also has the Japanese and European counterparts. So you have the Super Famicom versions of those classic uh, Super Contra and then NES or Famicom versions of uh, Super C and um, the regular Contra in addition to Japanese versions of all the other games. And then I spoke about the European games with the Protectabot series. Uh, in addition to, as aforementioned, Game Boy Advanced, what's well, the Game Boy game, Operation C. Uh, let me tell you, it is just fun to play through 
all of those games, especially I really just wanted to play the 8-bit NES version of Contra on my Xbox One, and that's all I really wanted. And I figured, all right, $6.59 to have a game I already own on another system, like why not? And to get everything else, but it's not just the games. There's actually a digital history uh, book of Contra that you can flip through and learn about all of the key aspects about the development of this historic series. And I thought that was really great. I am very much one about the people behind uh, our entertainment. I am an avid movie buff. I love director's commentaries. I love reading books about movies and how they were made. I even... Uh, was somewhat like that or I was very much like that as a child in elementary school I said I got introduced to a lot of the uh, 50s and 60s horror movies because I read about them before I actually saw them and I'm very much the same about video games there isn't enough or there aren't enough real books out there about gaming gaming history for people like myself to really dive into and I'm always clamoring for something else so this Contra digital book is just really awesome I have to find out if they've ever released it physically and if not Konami you need to because it's definitely something I would love to just own and I'm sure I don't speak just for myself when it comes and I'm sure a lot of other people a lot of other gamers out there both you know older school gamers like myself and newer gamers who really appreciate the Contra series would really love to own that uh, piece of history, piece of knowledge when it comes to a classic video game series like Contra. And realistically, even if you're hearing this after the sales are over, it is worth the full $19.99 price. It is, like I said, jam-packed full of games. It's 16 games, so you have versions of different ones. And let me tell you, the versions, the Japanese versions, are different than the American versions, especially going back and forth between the American version of Contra, or the NES version of Contra, and the Super Family Con version of Contra. Uh, they're just differences as far as a, kind of an overworld. First of all, there's an intro where there isn't one, intro cinematics that is, where there isn't one in the American version. There are also sort of a level progression before each level where it shows you at least the overworld, like jungle levels and whatnot. You know beginning to end like how what you have to go through before you actually start the level so i thought that was a really cool touch and that's something you don't see in the american version or the nintendo nes nintendo entertainment system version of contra and that is just something that i love those little nuances between those games so that is my take on Contra, the Contra collection for our download this week. If you have not downloaded it and you're someone who loves Contra and you're someone who just loves retro gaming in general, I highly advise you to pick it up. Now that's our download for the week. Now I want to talk about comics. I haven't really touched on too many comics as of late in the podcast, even though we talk about bow ties, comic books and everything in between. I want to get back in this because there is a, is a creator that I met so many years ago. Man, I can't believe it's been almost a decade. Connor McCurry, um, him and his partner did the very well-known comic Kill Shakespeare, which I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite comics for the past really 10 years or so. Um, and I'm always, it's funny, I fell in love with Shakespeare in college because for some reason... The Shakespeare, Shakespearean sort of language and how we wrote, it clicked like my brain. It was like something my sophomore year of college and it just clicked where I got it. Like 
I studied it in um, high school, and it was, you know, you say Shakespeare in high school, it's, it is, you know, Julius Caesar, Romeo and Juliet, but it was something about doing Othello in freshman year of college, and then subsequently seeing Much Ado About Nothing from Josh Whedon, uh, that something just clicked in my head as far as, like, I get it, like, I understand it, I don't need, like, that was like my Rosetta Stone when it comes to understanding Shakespeare, and with that love of Shakespeare, I developed some that. I then found Kill Shakespeare and the comics that they did. So I really loved them and became a fan of Connor's work. And recently, he and uh, VV Glasses, illustrator, have come out with another series on Boom Comics or through Boom Comics called The Last Switch. And the story is set in Ireland. I want to say you're talking about 1600, I don't know. I'm horrible with my time periods, European time periods in, in that way. But in definitely pre-1800s uh, Ireland where you have the story centers on a young girl who soon discovers that all the stories that she heard about witches are true. Now, this 12-year-old girl finds out that she is the last hope to stop these witches from opening the gates of Tiernanog thus releasing the fairy king and bringing about the end of the world that is really heavy stuff to deal with as a 12 year old and then in the process in the first issue your whole village is slaughtered including your father you find out that your nan your grandma is a witch but not in the same way as the other witches who are her sisters which makes them your aunts and also you find out that your uh, best friend you find him being eaten by one of the witches in episode two. So the fact that this girl isn't suffering from PTSD is a testament to her strength and fortitude. Uh, but it's it's it is something that I I came in with high expectations and my expectations were met and exceeded uh, because frankly I've um, I don't know Connor but I've interviewed him uh, twice in the past couple of years and like I said I am very much a fan of, of what him and Anthony did with Kill Shakespeare. Uh, I, I'm very much about comics that are very much not so much kiddie, but very much can be accessible and have themes that really reach those of us that have mature sensibilities and taste. And, and Connor does a really good job of writing comics in that way, in my opinion. And I, I really enjoy the first four issues right now. I believe those are all that are out. It's, um, oh, the, the color by Natalia Nesterenko. I hope I said it right. Are absolutely gorgeous. They are so beautiful and vivid. And even just the, the story pacing and the character designs uh, and the character artwork by Glass, coupled with the illustration, me, the coloring by Nesterenko. I get this Miyazaki vibe, like literally, and maybe it's the way the grandmom is drawing, because I feel like she is very reminiscent of our uh, Miyazaki character, but I, I feel like in many respects that I am reading a Miyazaki movie with the sort of quality and the sort of family 
dynamics that you have there and maybe it's the witches thing too i don't know and the magic but uh that's a very high testament to the quality of this book in my opinion for or any book to be compared to a miyazaki film uh if you're anime lover you know exactly what i'm talking about if you're not look it up there are uh, plenty of anime that miyazaki and the studios have done over the past decades that are just masterpieces so for me to compare the Last Witch to reading a Miyazaki film, that's a very high compliment. So I definitely am enjoying it and I'm looking forward to issue five when it comes out. So if you have not checked out The Last Witch uh, by McCreary and Glass, I suggest you do so. You will not be disappointed in that. Speaking of disappointments, let's talk about Captain America. So I had to set my coffee. It would have been tea, but you know, it's too early in the morning for that. Captain America in the Falcon and Winter Soldier, episode four. Let me tell you about this Joker. You already know how I feel about him. And he, the actor, is playing his role because he is doing exactly what they need him to do to make us feel the way that we feel about him. But let me give you the things I loved, all right? So, mind you, these are spoilers if you've not seen episode four of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier by now. Um, if not, what's wrong with you? Watch it. All right. So, I really love that Sam is consistently written as a voice of reason and humanity in the series. In all honesty, I feel like this is really Sam's show and Bucky's kind of just here to be the muscle. He's here, here to add certain plot points and have certain things. Like, for instance, Sam... Bucky is a connection to Wakanda which is why you have the Dora Milaje show up in this episode um, and obviously for Zemo so you have the connection and the understanding particularly because of Bucky's time in Wakanda speaking of Bucky I like I said I love how to use him as the connection any excuse to get the Dora Milaje significant screen time is alright by me I love the logical chain of events with the Wakandas coming after Zemo now that he is free. It's really good storytelling, in my opinion. I, I really love, and, and nobody knew this was coming when they said Zemo was going to be in a film or in the series because they figured he would be the villain. No one would have expected him to be the most human of the three, which really is, is you know, a testament to what they did and how they're doing things but it makes a lot of sense as his viewpoint on super soldiers um, really go along with many of the points that are ultimately coming true um, as the story progresses particularly this episode and how it ended I also love the fact that Zemo he is an aristocrat but he's still someone who knows how to connect with people with a level of dignity, dignity that Sam and Bucky don't Sam and Bucky are very much soldiers. Regardless of how human they are, regardless of how you know empathetic they are, they still are so with are soldiers and walking through that refugee camp, they stick out because they are like everyone else that has come through looking for whatever it is and it's the same sort of stance he played out in every single war movie every single depiction of the united states in iraq and afghanistan this is how they are when they're walking through zemo takes the path of least resistance but also the path where he can connect with someone at the camp to find out the information that 
they need. So I love this obvious divide between the three, and that's why I think Zemo is really a great addition to the pair in their efforts. Now, adding Zemo is a smart move. Now, let me tell you about some dumb moves. Why would you carry around the last remaining super soldier serum vials in a damn fanny pack? You are asking for something to go wrong, and it did go wrong. And after everything was said and done, you actually had one land in the hands of our favorite Captain America, John Walker. What do I say about John Walker? Well, obviously, he's a dick, but more importantly, he is very emblematic of a modern soldier compared to Steve Rogers. The Nazis were evil. You know, that's what history tells us. That's our viewpoint of them. Historically speaking, there was a clear good guy and a clear bad guy in those sort of conflicts, at least based on the way we see history. You see this in the way soldiers of the area error not necessarily were just portrayed but also spoke of these conflicts especially atrocities that came with why many of them wanted to go to war war today is often very much veiled in the political shades of gray with no clear evil akin to the nazis john is a great representation of this he is a hero because things went wrong and he survived he clearly carries the guilt he is also living in the shadow of a legend by taking on the shield. Frankly, he's a ticking time bomb. And once he got his hands on that super soldier serum, we all knew he was about to blow. Also, can we talk about how it took him getting his ass handed to him by the door Milaje to push him over the edge to take the serum? I love this. Also, did John not receive a briefing on Wakanda? He was so ignorant to who and what the door Milaje were are it was just a dumb American soldier moment and in that it fits very much into his character in my opinion yes I know Battlestar was annoying and somewhat useless but they did they really have to kill the black sidekick to cause the white guy to go off the deep end I have a real problem with this and just with the sort of racial stereotypes we've had to endure with the black sidekick or the magical negro or that's the reason why the white character did what they did and I think this was purposely done but that doesn't mean I like it anymore. Yes I know that there are a ton of characters in the show but we could have got to know a bit more about Hoskins other than being John's boy before you killed him. I mean I feel like that was just a disservice to the character in my opinion. But however, the final image of that shield dripping in blood was a perfect way to end the episode. All in all, it lived up to my expectations. You know, a lot more action. Things are speeding along. Uh, there is a bit more action than I expected, actually, which was good. And I have no doubt the last two episodes will be very, very explosive. Now, that's Falcon Winter Soldier. Let's get into... A bit of somber note in this week's podcast uh, as many of you well know at the time of this recording and when it's come out um, comes out that um, music world lost uh, the rapper Earl Simmons known as DMX uh, to a heart attack which they say was caused maybe by um, you know drugs who knows I don't care he passed away and it was sad I've always been a DMX fan uh, between him and Nas and, and the Wu-Tang and various albums that they put out, those have always been in any vehicle that I've, I've had uh, since they all came out. I've, I've had a copy of 
um, is Dark and Hell is Hot since 1998 when it came out. Also, uh, when 06, I ran to Best Buy at the time to get Year of the Dog again when it finally dropped because that's how much of a, a DMX fan that I am, was and am, and still am. And for me, like I just really became a fan of his and I loved it because it wasn't just his music. It was that his music was him. He consistently displayed uh, sincerity on every single song, on every single album. There was nothing manufactured or fake about him. Uh, this to me was always a testament of true artists. Just the artists that I really gravitate to, you feel who they are in the music that they put out, in what they portray. Like, I don't think Nas is anything but what he is. I don't think any of the Wu-Tang Clan members are anything but what they are. Same with DMX. There are a lot of rappers during that time who clearly were not what they were, what they put themselves out there to be. And it showed when time went on. And then you see people like DMX, you see people like Redman. Like they are who they are and they've never changed. And their music reflects that. And that's something that I appreciate and has always appealed to me. So whether it be his movies, his music, or just his genius as a person, he left a lasting impression on hip-hop culture uh, and the world at large. So, and speaking with DMX, had a fragrance out with the company Isidore, which I'm um, interested to get my nose on sometime in the future, but, you know, not this week, because our fragrance this week is Petra by Mask Milano. And with this one, you're going to hear top notes of bergamot, not hear them, but smell top notes of bergamot, yellow mandarin, pink pepper, middle notes of sandback jasmine, rose maroc, uh, lequant accord, fruity notes, and then base notes of incense, patchouli, uh, benzoin, myrrh, leather, and amber grease infusion. Now, when I first read the description of this one, I wasn't sure it would be one that, like, there are actually two Masculato fragrances that I smelled for uh, this podcast to try to figure out which one I would do for a fragrance of the week. The other one is one that I thought would like that didn't, so I won't be talking about this one. So clearly, um, Mas Milano, uh, Petra by Mas Milano really uh, surprised me. I thought it wouldn't be for me, but I was pleasantly surprised. It starts out a bit powdery for me at the beginning. Uh, I've never won for floral chords, but this one really hits all the notes for me. And I think that it's very unisex. However, I liked wearing it, but I think I would more so prefer to smell this on someone else, on my spouse, or if you know you have something other. I think you probably have more fun with the fragrance having it being on them and smelling them, especially in those up close and personal situations. So that is my fragrance of the week. Petra by Mas Milano. And that is the end of this podcast. I've been your host, Webster Style, on another episode of the Sartorial and Geek Podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. Feel free to find us on Instagram at Webster Style or at Sartorial and Geek. Drop us an email, info at WebsterStyleMagazine.com, or find us on the web at Webster Style or at SartorialGeek.com. Thank you very much for your time. Remember, uh, be safe it. out there and stay blessed. Ooh, I, I mean, this is me right here. Baby, you see this? Nah, this is... Hold on. Never, I, I mean, I can change. I, I thought... Never mind, forget it.
I'm a Jenny Jenny Minfinny Muffinny Finicky when it comes to the killing spree, aka that's an ensemble. Are you the enemy if you're not defending the presence of Millie in the vicinity without a bow tie? Okay, I might have went over the edge. Besides, I really let them clothes on them legs. Strong, we can lift him to the sky. The party's on to 12. Get we it. got a little time, hey, time, hey, time to get hey, it on. Get it and on. I'm back, I'm the type of pussy on. And after that, take a picture with the phone of the outfit. I'm it, I'm choosing what we on. Now it was Tree Green Tuesday. Had to be Bowtie Thursday. Had to be.